I wish you do first person at 10 shots. First person at 10? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, what's your shot? Oh. Oh my goodness. One. I think it was a few years ago we were you playing. You were surprisingly uh, athletic. I didn't realize, I didn't know you were a college athlete. Mm -hmm. But I remember we played and you were barefoot. And bro, you, I was, I remember you, you were moving, you had good agility, you were moving really well, barefooted. I was like, I was very surprised. Because I remember I, that day, we were going to put $1,000 on that basketball game. Yeah. And I had to go, I went and bought shoes, I took it pretty seriously. <laughs> I lost, I lost, it was, uh, we were going to 15, I lost, it was 14 to 15 or 13 to 15. Uh, and it was unfortunate. I lost it, shot like an NBA three from all the way back ah, there and hit yeah. it. And it was rough. It was rough, but it's okay, you know? Yeah, I felt a piece of me feels like, man, I should have went, went, I don't know if it was like an open challenge that was for yeah. the, I should have stepped up to the plate for it. But then at the same time, I had pulled up the only shoes that I was wearing. I had white uptown. Yeah. So since I was okay, I'm like, yeah, I can't play in, in my white ups. So I then, wanted to do it, yeah. but. By the time we started playing like the actual game and we did the full court five on five, I'm like, yo, you know what? I'll play barefoot. It was a, you know what it was on my part too? The guy is like, the guy I played is really dorky guy. Mm -hmm. I was like, me knowing me, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna kick this guy's ass, right? And I underestimated him and I made a mistake by doing that. Cause yeah. he didn't give off the perception of being good at basketball. Right, I thought right. he was gonna be a scrub, I thought he was good, but he was actually, turns out he played like for college mm -hmm. and he was, uh, he was pretty good. You know? Yeah, I think he played right. high school, whatever the case was, yeah. shooter. Because yeah. I think that's the most difficult thing, um, is when you, when you play against a shooter, you kind of have to be up in their face. Mm -hmm. But then if you're a good shooter, you're in a situation where no matter whether there be a contest or no contest, you still got a chance of putting it in well, the Well, I think what happened is he was shooting from like really like 30 right. footers like Steph Curry. Right. And I was like, go ahead, shoot, and he was making them. Yeah. And it was the same thing here uh, when we were playing that basketball game. We were playing, he was beating me like eight to zero. Ah. And then I started talking shit. Yeah. And I think it rattled him a little bit because I started talking shit, I started playing really aggressive. Throw somebody push, off their game. Pushing him around. Mm -hmm. And uh, it worked because then I caught up and I took the lead for a little bit. And then eventually he made that NBA three to seal ah, the deal. But pain. it was a, it was a interesting game. It was very fun. Do you find yourself operating at your highest level when you're in a competitive situation? Yeah. Yeah, I was telling him, like, he said, are you motivated by consequence? Mm. Like, most people are motivated by consequence, right? Rent's due. If I don't, I get evicted. So what? They work a little bit harder mm -hmm. to make sure they pay the rent. I'm not motivated by consequence because nothing really scares me. I'm motivated by competition. Okay. So if somebody is, like, I'm a sh big shit talker. If I play sports, I'll talk shit. I'll run my mouth. It doesn't matter what it is. If I'm boxing, I'm the type to smile and talk shit while I box. I'm not, a, I'm not like a quiet competitor. I think it makes me better when I talk, you know? Fair enough. I'm, I'm almost, I, I need the competition, yeah. but I'm not a trash talker in the conventional way. Okay. Like when, anytime that I play, like whether I'm playing basketball somewhere, if I'm doing something, mm -hmm. I'll never like talk trash in the conventional way. It'll be yeah. like, all right, I'll big you up in the midst of us doing, because it throws the person off. Right. So it's a weird way of trying to get in somebody's head. But for me, I'm, my, my most optimal is when I'm doing something and I know somebody else is where we're going for the same yeah. you know, goal. Uh, you know what it is? I'm selective with my trash talk. I think mm -hmm. you got to figure out what type of beast the person is. Because right. some people, you tra trash talk them, they get better. Right. And that, that dog, dog in them comes out and then you've lowered your chances. But then some people, you can intimidate them. And then some people, the trash talk is neutral. Mm -hmm. But I find myself, if I'm playing someone, I know they're gonna play better. If I talk shit, I'll keep my mouth shut. I'll play very quietly. Or I'll do what you do, I'll be very nice. I'm like, oh, good shot. Or like, I'll be nice to them. So the dog doesn't come out. Right. But if there's someone that's like, I know I can rattle them, I'm talking shit all the Right, because you have to figure out who is your competition. And yeah. then that, how you move accordingly with that. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you like silently compete in? Like where 
for me, it, going to the gym, the Stairmaster, that's it for me. Just, the moment that I get on the Stairmaster, if somebody gets on next to me, whether I'm already going and then they get on, forget the rest of my workout for now. I'm not getting off until you get off. Yeah. And then once you get off, there were different moments in which somebody would get on, I'd be like 15 minutes in, and at the time, the machine that I was on, it stops at 20, and then you kind of have to start from there again, so it mm -hmm. goes up. They got on, they did 30 minutes. I'm like, you know what, I'm feeling petty. I'm gonna do an additional 30 just so I yeah. can do my 45, and then I'll add an extra 30 yeah. on top of that, just so I, you know it's a fuck you sort of situation. Mm -hmm. But it's just one of those l weird lunatic things in my mind. I think I that's everyone there. naturally, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think about that a lot. I'm like, yo, if we were in the wild right now, and this was, we're fighting to the death, I'm gonna see who dies first. Right. So I think naturally we do that. I'm not gonna lie, there's been a couple people that broke my soul uh, as far as that stuff goes. Like I'm a terrible runner, mm -hmm. so I'll use that really like for competition, I'll use it a lot. Uh, but man, like running is where I'll break easily. Mm. Um, just because running, it's almost like a, a, the most mentally exhausting right. exercise. If it's basketball, I have an objective, score points. Right. Right, and I know if, once I hit a certain amount of points, we're done. Running, it's almost like you could technically run to a destination, but it's still this like constant pace of, there's no short burst of energy. So I think for me, I'm a, I'm a sprint and walk, sprint and walk, sprint and walk type guy. I'm not a jogger per se. Mm. I think for me, especially with running, because when I used to run, like when I ran track in high school, I was a mid-distance to distance runner, but I never, things didn't really set into where I could reach like my peak performance until I can kind of see mm -hmm. the finish was in sight. Right. So let's just say if I was doing a mile, if we were running on the outdoor track, that's four laps. It wasn't until lap three going into four that I would really hit peak performance because yeah. I know the end is in sight. Is in sight. So it, even when I go for runs now, where I started to pick up running again um, randomly, did yeah. a 5K in, I think it was in May or April, did a 5K and then I came in seventh. So, but while it was, while it was happening, but what was so weird about it, it was the first time that I ran in years, but yeah. when I came in seventh, I had an opportunity to come in sixth, but then I kind of like double inhaled. So I damn near choked myself while I was running. Cause it was one of those, you're running, so you're trying to keep your breath and everything. And I kind of, <gasps> So the situation, so then now, I'm, I damn near had a stroke <laughs> while running, so I'm like, oh geez, the person who I was trying to catch, they ended up gaining on me mm -hmm. and getting some distance, and then they ended up finishing. So in my mind, I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna start running, I'm gonna catch this motherfucker. So I do I, the same exact, right. the same, like, I'm like, fuck you, bitch. Yeah, so I have like that, that damn David Goggins thing going yeah. on. So when that was the case, I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna start running or whatever. So I started running by like the side of the highway uh -huh. in Brooklyn, and at first, I didn't have a ending point because I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to run for three miles. Yeah. I don't know when I'll achieve three miles. And right. I try not to look at my phone. So I'm like, once I figured out what the point is, I, I have certain markers. So I know, OK, I'm a mile away. I'm half a mile away. So I know when to pick it up because I know where the conclusion is at. Yeah. I think for me to reach like my peak performance, I need to know where the conclusion is. Because if it's unknown, now I'm just operating in a sense of, I don't know when to kick in into ultra gear. Right. And then if I kick into ultra gear too early, I can burn out. Facts, facts. Yeah, running is hard, bro. That's the one thing where it gets difficult for me because you have to like fight exhaustion, but you also, it's a mental, running is the biggest mental sport, I guess, per se, mm. right? Because a lot of the time, I guess in my opinion at least, because any other sport, even I, versus like fit, like because you kickbox yeah, yeah. as well, so you'd say it's even more mentally. One hundred percent. Interesting. Because the thing is, with running, someone's always on your fucking neck, twenty four seven, mm -hmm. right? Uh, kickboxing, fighting, boxing, you have pockets to breathe. If I want to breathe, I know if I punch a guy really fucking hard, I have my window to breathe. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like this like constant like ah. It's not a matter of who gets tired better, who has better cardio. I'm sure that plays a factor, but it's like, no, if, I, if I'm dodging and this guy's getting tired, you get to choose how your energy, your opponent spends their energy. Oh, and you have time in between rounds. Okay. You have time in between okay, rounds. But even in a real saying. fight, you get to choose, yeah. you get to dictate how your opponent spends energy. Right. Right. If they're punching and you're blocking all the punches, they're spending energy, you're not. Mm -hmm. In a run, you can't really make your opponent waste more energy. It's no longer like a, it's not, it's not a chess game. Running is not a chess game. Running is a mental endurance game. So I'm better at chess-like games, right? Mm -hmm. Even basketball, you can run a play where you conserve a lot of energy. You can, uh, so any sort of game that involves chess-like moves, mm -hmm. 
it's, it's better for me than just strictly running. Because strictly running, it's my brain power, no matter what, is not me making a smart running move is not necessarily going to help me. It depends, because now I'm thinking, because in I love the chess-like battle in sports across the board and in yeah. life across the board. Because like mm -hmm. with basketball, if I do a particular move and you have to react to it, yeah. now if I were to feint that particular move and you react to it, that opens up something for me. Exactly. In running, if I'm now running against somebody, let's just say if you're somebody who is like me, where when you get towards those championship laps, I guess if you were to compare it with boxing where they have the championship rounds. Mm -hmm. So if you're running a mile, those last two laps, you have to make sure you pick it up from there. If I start out the first two laps where I'm, my output is incredibly high and that forces the people who are trying to you know, set their pace to try to keep up because they know in the end, they have to conserve their energy to a particular degree. Maybe that's where the chess match would happen. But if you're just casually going for a run, how do you do it? Because I guess with running, not only is it you versus somebody else, it's also you versus you. Yeah. In different sports, there's situations where it's not you versus you because the ultimate output is you and the other person. So, I don't no, know, it depends. I think, I think with running, though, it, it, the nature of running lessens the... the outcome of like the chess move type things because a great example right uh mm -hmm. let's say you're boxing mm -hmm. floyd mayweather cerebral assassin right he doesn't need to have that much output because he's so precise right and running there's no way you can conserve your output at all because no matter what you're gonna have to have a certain amount of output so it's a, it's a cardio game mm -hmm. right no matter what no like if you're a great thinker right there's no way that you can shorten the distance now if it was a race a race allows you to have more of a chess like feel to it because now you're like, okay, well, I can take this shortcut here mm -hmm. and conserve time, or I can take a boat to this and this in order to get there, right? So I think that, that would give you more of like a, a chess-like feel, but just running laps, I think it's just strictly endurance. Endurance plays a role, because I guess in the preparation of the, the race, you'd have to see how much you can increase your endurance, but then even with output, because if you have like eight laps or, well, if there's a particular amount of you running and if you're running against somebody, maybe if you know you have a high level of endurance, you can deal with, you know, the pain or, or the fatigue that comes with running yeah. at an accelerated pace. I guess it all comes down to preparation. Facts. Maybe it all comes down to preparation. Because if you're in a situation where you know you've been running for some time mm -hmm. and you're accustomed to running those distances, maybe if you're doing a 5K and you're at, Three miles. You get to that how two miles. You got right. seven places in a five k. Yeah. How long did How long did you do it for? Oh, when I when I ran it, um, it was twenty. I think when I ran it was like twenty four minutes. Damn, which is son. no, no, but it's not even like I think that's not even like the I think that's still like the novice area. But it was my first time running in years, like yeah. since like before the uh, the pandemic. So it had to be like pandemic. Yeah, yeah, but 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 yeah. that's a conversation. We're getting but yeah, so, hold on, wait so, a minute. We can talk about this on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Oh, can we? Okay. Yeah, the pandemic. Ooh, why did you yeah. call it the pandemic? Let's uh, do but, a deep dive here. Oh, because we got had. We got. We, we, it was called the ultimate genjutsu. We got a. Uh, 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 we got food. had. Yeah, we got had. We got had. It didn't. It didn't Right, elaborate. Right, 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 right. Elaborate. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right? Ain't that something? Elaborate. Oh, yeah, but we, 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 we got, we got hat. Yo, can you make his hat red in post-production? Right. <laughs> Please. Please. It's red and we turn this Please. around. Let's make it, make America great again. I used to have uh, a, um, why, why a, you a, a skit about that. Yeah, we got had because um, ultimately things didn't necessarily make any sense because they told you you're supposed to. Did you get had? Hmm? Did you get had? Did I get had? Ah, by, 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 by a certain degree, yes. What do mean a certain degree? Did you shudder yourself in your home? Uh, no, not necessarily. I didn't. I, I still was outside, but there were certain th times in which I'm like, "Oh, can we congregate?" You get jabbed up. I was thinking about certain particular things. It was it was kind of weird, but ultimately, I think what what really confused a lot of people was just a matter of the distancing of it all. Yeah. I think when they said, "Hey, you can't congregate in particular areas," and then now all of a sudden, when the mass protests had happened, well, yeah, you can congregate, but then you can wear masks yeah. when you're out but wait a minute but to, so you're saying it's okay for this then people you couldn't attend like if your your grandmother passed away well, i guess we can't have everybody at the funeral but then well, you can go to these you were in new york conferences like it was it was bizarre like i remember i went to i went to times square it was a ghost town i had never yeah. seen things so so empty so it was a situation where there was a lot of contradiction yeah. And then they had said with, hey, you have this vaccine, now all of a sudden you're immune. Or then, then you have people who had the vaccine, then they kept getting COVID. And then you had people say, oh, no, it was the unvaccinated. And it seemed like now that you've reached the end of everything, and it seems as if 
all of this other stuff was for what yeah. it's it's a lot of people are very conflicted about it people are looking back like what was the ultimate goal of what was happening here it's just it it, it seems as if it was all an orchestration from the very you beginning. know what they got me in the beginning so mm -hmm. in the very beginning I, I just got this place in miami i just got it february mm -hmm. 2020 mm -hmm. just got this place news breaks week of and someone's like hey did you hear about this thing i'm like yeah whatever it's cool right and then I remember it started like happening. I'm like, whoa, shit, that's crazy. And I'm all alone out here. My family's all in LA. Mm -hmm. So I hear, I hear about this. I'm like, well, shit, let me go back to LA, spend some time with my family, my mom, mm -hmm. my brother, like they stopped working. So I had to pay all their bills. Yeah. And I remember sitting in LA and I was like, it's not really no different here. And I, I felt kind of bad. I was like paying rent on this place because right. I just got it. Right. And I was like, man, I got this new brand new penthouse on the water. I'm not even in fucking Miami, man. Fuck it. I'll die. Mm -hmm. I'll die before my, my rent goes to waste. So I just came back and I'm in Miami. And Miami closed for a little bit, but then they opened up and everything right. was fine. And then I saw the juxtaposition, you like that word, juxtaposition mm -hmm. between, between L.A. and Miami. And everyone in L.A. was scared. Everyone in Miami was still going out and about, right. partying and stuff. I remember we, the clubs were open. So we were going mm -hmm. to clubs. They are open legally. We are going to clubs and just everyone's like clustered in there, partying their asses off. I'm like, is this real? Right? Mm -hmm. I went to Mexico. I got COVID in Mexico because mm -hmm. I was partying in a, in a club in Tulum. And then I got it, I was like, man, this didn't feel any different. So eventually I just went anti all that stuff for the longest time. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel really bad for all the people that got fucked over by that. Right, right. A lot of people got fucked over. And then I knew some people who had uh, um, COVID. And then I knew other people who like, just, just never, like for me, I've never, I never had it. I yeah. never had it. And um, I was concerned because at first when they were putting out the numbers, like all oh, oh, these mass amount of people are dying or whatever. But when you really look at the number compared to the grand scheme, it's incredibly small. Yeah. But then when you're watching it in real time, you're like, what the hell's happening? Like I had an old high school, uh, um, not necessarily classmate, but we were we were both in the same high. He died and he had COVID. But then Crazy. you look at a lot of different things and like the different sort of lifestyle that you live, what your diet may be, what your body is or whatever the case there's a lot of different sort of things that yeah. get taken into account but overall as i was watching it unfold because at my parents church they had like 40 different members they all in 20 within a three-month radius like 40 of the elders all passed damn they, right god was like you right and then it was me. like bam 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 so i was incredibly <laughs> concerned for my parents i'm like oh what the hell are we gonna do but then as 2020 had went into 2021 2021 went into 2022 <laughs> i was just sitting there like wait a minute here what's yeah. what's going on so i think the hysteria in the beginning it it had gotten to me too and then as time progressed i was sitting there started really thinking about different things like uh, i don't know i don't know yeah. about this this Seems kind of weird. I just felt so bad. I feel like it fucked a lot of people up. Mm -hmm. What's crazy to me is people are still out there scared. Mm -hmm. And that's what's wild. For someone to still be out there scared. I saw a video, it was like a woman. She's like, guys, I haven't left since COVID started, but I'm leaving to see the Barbie movie. And we rented the entire theater because mm -hmm. we don't want to socially distance. I'm like, this is insane that you're still scared of this thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, and, and to make matters even worse, like when you look at the people who, let's just say if you're in a situation where you can't rent out a whole thing and you just go attend. Because I saw a video where this girl, she went to a, a Taylor Swift concert. She was still somewhat paranoid about the whole COVID thing. She was masked up. She had oh um, some sort of like reader. Um, and they posted it on Twitter. She has like some sort of reader so that she knew like what the output, it was some weird, I don't know what the, the reader was for, yeah. but she was like, oh yeah, you know, and I spotted somebody else who had a mask and then I tried to see if I could be friendly with her or whatever. I'm like, what, what is going on right here? Like, it's so weird how that, because I, I, I never experienced a polio outbreak. Obviously none of us did. I think that yeah. was like in the 60s or something like that, or maybe, or the bubonic plague, which was way before our time or whatever. But the, how everything, how they went about everything, the media, of how they covered everything. And then when you really thought about it, I'm like, man, it something doesn't seem right. It always threw me off. Something just did not seem right. And then when you With look at other countries of how they were handling it yeah. or what was happening in their country, and then you compare it to yours, and then you looked at your day-to-day, -day, it was just very bizarre. And then people yeah. who lost jobs, um, depending on whether the job went remote or they just completely shut down or they had certain sort of mandates, it just seemed very bizarre. It's crazy because I was like partying and traveling. It was great for me. I was like partying, traveling, 
Yeah, some Living people during, during during 2020, the amount of money that some people made, like with the um, whether it was uh, yeah. cashing in on stocks that were plummeting, yeah. or things like that, or opening different sort of businesses going online. Like now, I think that's probably why so many people are trying to see how can I, you know, get my business to be strictly online because everybody had been so accustomed to just being, being on, on their phone. phones. You're in a situation where why it would shifted, I? It shifted like the public mindset right. to like how it should be. Yeah, because there's people who went back to work. Like, wait a minute, if I'm able to operate this job from my house, why the hell would I go back to work? Yeah. That's a waste of my time. But the thing is, like, people from home, they just get so, they don't like working from home. They're like, yeah, yeah fuck this. I don't want to work from home. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sorry, I don't want to work at a job. I want to work at home. Yeah. But it's hard for them to be productive at home. Yeah. People are gonna be fucking lazy no matter what, mm -hmm. regardless of where they're at. So I don't know. It was, I'm shook. Cause me and my boys, we were woo, and like people were really struggling, you know. Yeah, and then what was so interesting about it was how quick people were. Like there, there was no questioning of what was happening. Cause mm -hmm. I think o overall, what the entire experience did for me was I would already knew there was sheeple, I guess people who sheeple. Just, yeah, like people who just immediately. I love all these, the, the fall, what is the, the pandemic right? yeah, like sheeple. Yeah, like a bunch of like just cheap who sheeple. it doesn't matter if the if the media tells you this is what's going on you immediately blindly follow or whatever because mm -hmm. obviously there's a bit of anecdotal evidence that'll exist because what your lived reality would be is whatever it is that you see yeah. but there would come a point which you're saying all right they're saying this is what is happening and what I should be seeing around me but what I'm seeing around me is completely different. It's a polar opposite. Then you travel and change. You go to a different place. Because I flew to Puerto Rico during the, um, the pandemic. Then I flew to, I was also in California at the very start mm -hmm. of everything. I had gone to, whether it had been Philadelphia, just different time, just to go see. Was, that, was this when your YouTube started booming a little bit? Um, yeah, it was like during, because I had my, um, I think it was, during that time, I did a series on Mike Tyson, okay. and that that whole five-part series had went like it went everything was over like a hundred thousand views, and then people started rolling in. That's when I decided, oh wait a minute, let me do a shift and start incorporating more MMA, boxing, some combat-style commentary for videos, and then immediately I started seeing an uptick because everybody's online, everybody's on their phone. So then I started getting my numbers started incredibly increasing. That's where I started having those hundred thousand subscriber years. Like it started coming in. Heavy. What did you do on Mike Tyson? I'm a big Mike Tyson fan. Mm -hmm. I think he's like, he's a very eccentric person. Yeah. And like, what did you do on Mike Tyson? What was it about? Yeah, so basically I covered his um, entire career, right? So at first it was just gonna be a commentary on his best knockouts. Yeah. Then in the midst of going with the knockouts, I found a video that had it all in chronological order. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, this is interesting. So in the midst of me doing the commentary, I think when I got midway through his first 15 or so fights, it got to a point where I said, wait a minute, I think I can probably try to chronological, you know, chron chron his, his entire career. Mm -hmm. So then the first stage was them discovering him, then going to the point where he starts, you know, on his ascension to the championship. He then now becomes the champion. So the first stage is him, you know, working his way towards becoming the champion. Mm -hmm. Then um, Customato dies. Right, I don't believe he became champion when Cus died, or I can't remember if he became champion when Cus died. But once Cus dies, I could cut it right there. So then we'll go to part two. Part two works his way towards the title. He becomes yeah. a champion. Then go on his journey of defenses, and then stop it when he loses the title. Gets caught with Buster Douglas. Then, you, then you try to have the portion of where he has the comeback. He goes to jail. Then after that, from when he returns back to jail, you work your way up towards Holyfield incident. He done yeah. bit the ear. That seems like a great cliffhanger Dog. of an ending. So then, bam, stop it right there. And then his final back half of his so career. It's in, how old? So two questions, because I thought about this right now. I'm, my brain is weird. How old do you think Mike Tyson would have to be for, or, in order for you to beat him in a fight? How old do I think yeah. I in, to beat him like, in a fight? He's like 50-something right now. Yeah, he's I, like I still 50, think he would, 50. he would kick my ass. Oh, without question. When he stepped into how the ring, old, it was crazy. How old do you think he has to be in order for you to beat him in a fight? I would have to say... 70, he's ha he'd have to be in his 70s to where moving for him becomes a difficulty. Okay. Because he still moved very good in when he did the um, exhibition with um, yeah. Roy Jones. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, I would have to fight Mike Tyson when he's like in his late 70s and you can start to see physically 
he he's can't breaking move down. is breaking down. Like, if, if all I had to do, if I can survive a round and I know the longer the fight goes, it works in my favor, I think mm. I can get him then. But he would have to be like late 70s, entering his 80s kinds of things to where he's really starting to feel the effects of not only the lifestyle that he lived, but then also his, the physicality and the... Mike Tyson is like in. an interesting specimen to me, man, because like, he's a real sicko, Mike Tyson. Yeah. Like he, there's like something is broken in his brain in a good way where he just like, he's just ferocious. Dude. Yeah, when he goes to that place, it's it's, it's a dark it's, place. Yeah. But I think all like all of these guys like Jordan has that place. Like yeah. Kobe has that place. We talk about John Jones a lot. John yeah. Jones has that place. There's memes about John Jones being like a serial killer secretly. Mm -hmm. He's secretly a serial killer, so it's like he takes pleasure in uh, doing MMA and hurting people. Right. And then when you watch him fight, someone put together a compilation of just like his serial killer moments mm -hmm. when the dude fights he doesn't like fight conventionally like he's trying to kick people right knees out. right he's trying to take you out i remember i saw that in a fight i was like can you do that is that legal to just kick someone's knees out like that because mm -hmm. um, it's the locations of where he hits because you would think if you're just in a regular regular fight yeah you know you're competing but then ultimately there's like a honor amongst you know fighters there's there's yeah. there's almost like a it's a club so you're not intentionally trying to hurt somebody. But it's like you're a, competing yeah. to, you know, at the highest level. But it's like, all right, when the fight's over, it's respect. Right. For John Jones, it appears, and it was almost the same thing with Tyson, where the moment that the fight begins, it's me versus you, and it's to the death. Yep. And then there's a moment where when that bell rings and the fight's over, you're still there. Mm -hmm. So it's like that rate, it's still there. And then when look at John Jones' eyes when he fights. He's it's like a, he rarely blinks. And you can see the ferociousness that exists. And he's, he's almost kicking, antsy. He's hitting kicking you with the those knees. knees yeah. If you watch the elbows that he throws, you're like, wait a minute. You the see the one where he choked out uh, Machida mm -hmm. against the fence? That was so vicious to me. Because, like, you know when people, someone chokes someone out, like, they lay him down? Mm -hmm. The dude chokes him out, and he doesn't, like, it's no gentleness. He goes like this, drops him like a dead body. And yeah. Machida just drops to the floor right. like a dead body, dude. Mm -hmm. Chokes him unconscious, drops him, boom. I was like, yo, this dude's a... Psychopath. Yeah, yeah. And there's, there's an interview where he's like, he's like, oh, I'll go in the, it's him and Daniel Cormier. He's like, I'll go to that room right now. Yeah. He's like, if you came in here, I would literally kill you. Yeah, I'd you. kill you. Yeah. I would literally kill you. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, he's not fucking around. He yeah. would literally kill you. Dude, some of these fighters, man, I remember when Deontay Wilder had the, um, the interview. I think this was before the Tyson Fury trilogy, yeah. where he's talking about he loves fighting because it's the only sport in which you can legally, you know, kill, kill somebody. It's crazy. Like you can, I, I have that opportunity to really get that out there. So truly, in my opinion, I've always had this stance from when I was a kid. I always felt like if you were some, if you saw signs of somebody being like a murderer, yeah. or something of that nature from a very young age, put them in like a combat, combat kind of sport. Because you have to get that out. I yeah. think in that across violence. the board, like anything that where you have somebody who has that in them, even on a small scale, because there's some people who just like really like to mess with like ants or yeah. mess with insects, rodents, animals per se, Yikes. other people. Put them in a situation where there's a combat thing to where they can get that aggression out. Well, I love these guys because like they're, they're, they all have like these demons that they're battling, but right. you see them exercise the demons through the ring. Yeah. Like Mike Tyson, like didn't he get busted for like coke and like owning, ti he owns tigers and yeah, stuff. Yeah, the tiger. And then he tried to pay a, a, a like a zookeeper mm -hmm. to let him fight a gorilla. Yeah. Dude yeah. was a, like he's, yeah. a, he's nutty. Yeah, I think he said it was like 10 Gs he's gonna yeah. pay so he could fight some silverback. And he, he's like over here biting someone's ear off because yeah. he's losing or he's getting frustrated in the fight so he mm -hmm. bites the dude's ear. It's sick. Yeah. And John Jones, another one, he, uh, do you see the one where he like, he's headbutting a police car? Oh, yeah, I saw He's that on handcuffs. Yeah. He's like, I fucking hate you guys headbutting the police yep. car. I'm like, this dude is. Dude, some people, some people just have, like, when they snap. There's that darkness in them. Right. So they need, they need that output. They were literally built to do what they do. Right. Like, if, if this was back in, like, the time, those are the people who would be the Coliseum. You know, mm -hmm. those are the gladiators. Those yeah. are the people who'd go out there and fight. Yeah. And. Um, yeah, I think yeah. he did have a bit of, of a bit of a, a little bit of a domestic violence I mean, situation. Yeah, John Jones beat us. There was something. Someone said something. He was like, uh, there was, "Let me take work home." There was an old. There was an old woman. There was an old woman, and he was sitting like first class on a plane. Yeah, he was sitting next to an old lady on the plane, and she goes, "Oh, like the old lady's like, oh, like what do you do?" Similar to your situation, how people mm -hmm. are walking by. Oh, John Jones. Right. So she's like, what do you do? And he was so gentle. And he's like, he's like, yeah, I'm a professional fighter. 
super gentle, but you go in the comment section, he was like, uh, five seconds after this video ended, he put her in a rear naked Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, this, because I couldn't, I couldn't imagine being a professional, because how do you, there's some people who can't turn off, like, what it is that you do. Like, for example, if you're playing, like, in, in crazy competitive sports, yeah. you're going to be competitive at everything. That's why Jordan has that gambling, you know, issue. Charles Barkley has that gambling issue, because yeah. that same sort of output that you had to have in that sport, you when you now else. retire, like, I could... I can only imagine what Tom Brady's next 10 to 15 years are going to look like because yeah. he's so ultra competitive. He's going to How do you now take what you used to do at such a high level and then transition that towards something else? Because there's no way you can just, you know, all right, I'm done with it. And then you go elsewhere. It's, it's going to persist Stay. So, and yeah. in that first five, because the first five years of like retirement across the board, you don't know what the hell to do. With I yourself. think it's weird. Yeah. Everyone's right? like very trying to figure weird. it out. So I always find, and the only reason why I go 10 to 15, because he was so ultra competitive because yeah. in the short term, Five years just seems like too short. I mean, Tom Brady been been smashing some tings, you know. Yeah, that too. Yeah, he been, like, he been well, that's more the competitive. There was like Kim, about his the Kim Kardashian. He mm -hmm. had like a, I've been seeing him with like a bunch of like Instagram girls. Uh, now he's with like Bradley Cooper's baby mama. Yeah, like he's he's out here. Yeah, he's out there. Cause why? Not? I mean, at that point, you know, you're Tom Brady. They're gonna you have to do no work for it. You just exist. Oh, that's Tom Brady. Like you're recognizable. He's out here without the helmet, and that he's you like know? the he could have been the face of GQ if he never yeah, played yeah. football or whatever. Good looking the guy. Like he's out here on some. Awesome thing. He was in a Mr. Beast video, like yeah, I, yeah where they were throwing the um, yeah, yeah, yeah he's doing right. his run, man. He's right, yeah, good doing for his him. Run. Good for I'm happy for him. And now he got a minority um stake, I think, with uh, um the uh, the Raiders Crazy. or something like that. And then a lot of people are still thinking, man, is he really retired for good? Because now it's training camp time and everything yeah. like that. I mean, so no, he can't. If he owns a minority stake, he can't be a player owner. Mm. Yeah. No, you can't. At least you would imagine. It's like, yeah, I'm going to sell my minority stake. I want to step on the field. Like, if they were to have injuries at quarterback and now there's nobody available, everybody yeah. looks to the skybox, this guy got the jersey coming <laughs> He's out. He's coming down. Could you imagine? That'd be crazy. That'd be fire. It's my dream to own a sports team. I could own the Lakers, mm -hmm. bruh. Oh, my God. That's Good a dream God. come true. Right. I would love to because I always, and this is why I, I, I always gravitated towards um, Gary Vee. Yeah, because when you see somebody who's very passionate about something and on a week to week basis, because when like the football season's going on, Gary Vee is a terror to be around because he's just so, so super he's yelling jet, and shit, right? Yelling. He's the he's the actual fan who goes to the game and is obnoxious yeah. and everything. But he has that passion behind it where if he was the owner of the team, he'd be like a Mark Cuban to a certain degree right. to where he's on the front row, he's losing his mind. He actually cares about the transactions. So you can tell he's actually in the, um, he cares about the performance yeah. of the team versus just the performance of the business right. at a whole. Because there's a lot right. of different owners of different you know, franchises. I think that's who really the don't ultimate business for an ultra competitive person to right. like, refine something. Mm -hmm. You know, like MJ got sick of it. He sold his, he yeah. sold the horn. He's yeah. like, man, I'm losing. I'm tired of this. But that's so tough because when you're at somebody who performed at the high level, that's why they always say like the greatest players are shit coaches. Yeah. Because you have a different animal that's inside of you, your output and performance is so different than the average person. So when you now have to oversee people who don't want it as bad as you want it, and you have to be okay with that, or it's like, all right, I'll make a transaction. I'll get you the hell up out of here. I'll get somebody else. But then that now affects chemistry of mm -hmm. the squad. Well, this person been here for eight years, but you're not willing to go above and beyond what are you willing to give up to go up what are you willing to sacrifice like it's it's so interesting i think it's hard when you have that too because you that's not something you can teach i think it's not has to be born. that's god but yeah it's yeah it's god that's yeah. god god given yeah so it's hard to to do that right like i think lebron would be a great owner gm coach because mm -hmm. lebron is a great like he's great with teammates he makes right. everyone else right. better right you know he and he just has the physical gifts to be able to put everyone on his back mm -hmm. so He's in a very unique position. I think the business would thrive with LeBron, but then on the on-court stuff, because you could still make the move, but then the problem is you're in a situation where all you can do is, well, I should say, in his spot, he can't control what's happening on court. Yeah. I think that's where the difficulty exists, because you can make the business, the morale, everything great because i've never heard somebody say to lebron you know he's been a bad teammate i've never heard yeah. anybody in an interview say he's been a bad teammate but at the end of the day like with winning being the end goal you can set up a great situation where you think you bring in the right guys or whatever it's on them to now go out there and execute with that chemistry if they now can't get that or they don't have that dog that's in them no matter how great you set things up 
it's still going to not perform yeah. at the level. Like, you can triple how much the team is worth or whatever the case. Because I think um, Jordan bought the um, Charlotte um, Hornets for like a 150, maybe 200 something, and now it's like one point something billion. Where mm-hmm. although the business thrived, the mm-hmm. on the court output was garbage. Yeah. Because I don't think they've won a playoff series. Yeah. Yeah. That's rough, man. It's tough. Yeah. I, cu- I couldn't, because if I was an owner of a team, ultimately the goal is championship. So mm-hmm. I, I could care less of how well the business does. I'd almost be blind to it if we're not hoisting up that Larry O'Brien or that Super Bowl trophy or whatever the case may be. I think winning is more important than money. Right. At that level, at that level. Right. Once you hit, like, once I make $100 million, yeah. money no longer matters to me. Right. It's always the end goal. It's always the mm-hmm. results. Right. Because, like, what the fuck? You can, it's impossible to differentiate $100 million and $200 million. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. Your life is virtually the same. You're flying private. You're on yachts every week. You can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. There's no difference in your life. It does not change at all. The only thing that changes is that feeling you get from winning. Right? You could be a $100 million loser or you could be a $100 million winner. And that's, that's the hard part. Because, like, once you get to that level of $100 million, all your competition is now $100 million, a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. So people think it's hard to make 100 grand. Your competition are like these bozos that don't know how to make any money, these right. lazy people. Right. That's why making 100 grand is so easy. If you took everything away from you, mm-hmm. I think you'd make 100 grand in a month again. Just because the competition is so weak down here at the bottom. Yeah, right? yeah. At a million dollars, competition gets a little more stiff. Mm-hmm. At 10 million, competition gets a little more stiff. At 100 million, I can't even imagine the level of competition you're facing. Yeah, it, get, it gets very difficult. You're at facing that point. these guys that are that are absolute. Like everyone up there is a dog. Right. You know. Right. And then like at a billion dollars, the level of competition there. Like imagine competing against Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos. Yeah. These guys are ultra. Jeff Bezos kills companies for a living. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazon has put so many people out of business. Right. That's what that's what that's like that's what turns them on. Like, yeah. Like, All right. Cool. I can put this. Let me just destroy this this model over here. I'll overtake that. We talked about Zuck and Elon the other day. Yeah. Like, they're building these social media networks and yep. they're like beefing over it. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's how you know these mother, like they're sickos. They're the ones right. that like they don't care about money. Mm-hmm. They'll dump all of it just to put someone out of business. They're yeah, like, they'll take, they'll see a mom and pop, you know, out there just making, oh, really? Interesting. So what's their turnover? All right, cool. So I'll take that concept. Make it better. Make something even better. And then solve a problem that you probably had no clue that you even had. Or maybe yep. something that wasn't, it's on the horizon. I'll immediately solve that, do it better than you. I was on the flight um, over here and I was watching um, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't get a chance to see the entire 10th season, but there was um, a, a store called Mocha Joe, right? So they sell um, coffee yeah. that was there. And then Larry, um, Larry David, who's the main character, he, in spite, created, you know, another. He was well in the midst of creating another, like, coffee shop right next door, yeah. right? So I didn't get a chance to see the entire season. But in my mind, I think, like, Jeff Bezos, just like that. Elon, just like that. Oh, really? Okay, I didn't like my experience at this coffee shop. So you guess what? I'm going to buy the next door and you I'm know, gonna make the same business and do it better. I'm interested in seeing how the, the season concludes, but the, that was something that I had in mind. Biggest coffee business in the world, Starbucks. Mm-hmm. Did you know that that's not a unique idea? They've created a bunch of ideas like that, but in Europe, that was a normal thing. Like back when Starbucks got invented, in the United States, there was no coffee shops that you could sit at, work. There's no like lounge type coffee shops. That's right. a European concept. Mm. So the founder of Starbucks went to Europe, saw this concept, and was like, why don't we have this in America? Goes back to America, starts the con- brings the concept here, and people are like, oh, I like it. Because Starbucks, you're not going for coffee. Coffee is not really the best at Starbucks, right? Like, there's places with better coffee everywhere. Like, coffee yeah. enthusiasts, yeah. like, no, well, this place has way better Colombian coffee. Their beans mm-hmm. are whatever. Right. Starbucks, when you go to Starbucks, you are buying the experience, the comfort. Right. That, like, lounge-type feel. Yeah, you have access to the Wi-Fi. The Wi-Fi. There's locations to where you can now sit down. Because there are some coffee shops, but then in those coffee shops, do you get access to Wi-Fi? Or you just get, all right, well, I have a nice little space that's here, but then is it vast? Because they have big Starbucks. They have small Starbucks. They have a bunch of different things. So they have that variety, I guess, And what they've created is a place for people to go. Yeah. Like, damn, I want to go to Starbucks. Because if you go to Starbucks, there's a bunch of people on laptops and stuff. Yeah. No matter where, where it's at. Mm -hmm. There's no empty Starbucks. They go there, and people are not just going to go there and sit without buying anything. So they go and they buy the coffee Mm -hmm. as an add-on. But what they're really selling is the experience of sitting in a Starbucks. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, they just took an idea that was working somewhere else. They brought it here. They made it better, commoditized it. Now it's like huge. Yeah. And they've created a billion dollar business. So these guys are like savage when it comes to that. Because at the end of the day, 
when you're competitive, you're gonna find ways to make things better. Yeah. I get a lot of people, because I'm in the entrepreneur space, kids will always be like, oh, I got a billion dollar idea, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna mm -hmm. do this. Or they'll pitch me like, yo, we're gonna do this, it's gonna work. And I see it and I immediately pick holes in all of their stuff. I'm like thousands of light years ahead of these kids. Mm -hmm. So I can only imagine how far ahead, like Elon Musk, if I were to come to him with an idea, he'd be like, well, there's a flaw here, there's a flaw here, there's a flaw here, it's not gonna work. You know? Yeah, they cut into the stuff. And I think that comes down to like what we spoke about in a prior episode where we were saying where it's not just a matter of um, your imagination or you thinking. It's also with the execution. Mm -hmm. And I think because they think so far into like the future, similar to what we've constantly talked about where it's not in the short term, it's in the long term. So whenever they think about, all right, in a business, they think way down the line. Mm -hmm. So with that being the case, any small micro sort of issues that you'll run into, they've already got those solutions. They're thinking micro, but yeah. or I should say macro problems down the line. So let's just say if um, Elon or Jeff Bezos wanted to make like a uh, energy drink or something like that, they're probably thinking of what it does for the body a year, two years after just consistently drinking it. They're thinking yeah. so much more than what the what right now maybe so then a lot of people especially in competitors um you should say in competition you're in a situation where you're thinking you know how can i beat out the person what are you thinking they're thinking what you're thinking way before you even think of it yeah it's wild it, it's it's bizarre i don't know I, and it makes me wonder like what does their day-to-day -day look like like what, when they're sitting down they're thinking if i could hear their thoughts what are they thinking right it's hard to process information from, some, from someone that big their brain right I think most people would be lost. I think even if Elon Musk were to give me advice, mm -hmm. I wouldn't, it would be useless to me just because I'm not at that level yet. You mm -hmm. know, like I always tell everyone, like if you're not making any money, the best advice you can get is from someone that's making six figures yeah. or a million dollars. But if you're making a million dollars, the best advice you can get is not from a billionaire, it's from like someone that's making yeah. 10 million. Yeah. You you, as, you, as you go up, you're, like, your mentor has to have a mentor, but then as you're going up, you have to also level up with who you're talking to as well. Yeah. Because you might outgrow that person. Well, think about it like this, right? If, if you don't know how to play basketball and you go to Phil, uh, Phil Jackson, yeah. <laughs> the, like, one of the best coaches, Eric Spolstra, one of the best coaches of M NBA history, yeah. and he goes, and you don't know anything about basketball, and he's like, okay, you're gonna run this play right here. Mm -hmm. You're gonna look at it and be like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. That's the equivalent because you know nothing about basketball. Mm -hmm. You're not gonna understand, you're not gonna comprehend the nuance of a play. You're not even gonna, it's gonna look like gibberish to you. Yeah. And the same thing goes for business. If I were to explain a really complex business thing to someone that has no experience, they're not gonna get it at all. Yeah, so, 100%, 100%. Like I could imagine if you're playing football, you would not want your first meeting about anything to be sitting down with like a brainiac like a Bill Belichick yeah. or Bill Parcells or, or Vince Lombardi if he was still alive or whatever. You don't want to be sitting down with the most high level person because you'll ask the basic level questions. Mm -hmm. So I think as you ascend, you have to also ascend with who it is that you're talking to. You think it's to. Bill Belichick or Tom Brady? Because they were saying Tom, Tom kind of like gave him the fuck yeah. too. Yeah. Because he won it without him. Yeah, because I think, but then on, on top of that, it's like Tom went to a location where everything was set. Yeah. But he already had that dog in him. And then the teammates that were around him worked as well. But then I think they're both like hand in hand. They both played a large role because early in Tom's career, it was, I, in my opinion, it was much more Belichick than it was Tom. And then, then later, later in yeah. Tom's career, it was more Tom than it was Belichick. But they both, I've I, I, never been a big fan of how like, in order for one to get a lot of the credit, the other one has to be somewhat devalued. Because I think you can still say Belichick's the greatest coach of all time without, you know, also, well, I should say also mentioning that Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback of all time. Because I think now it's like, the, people always like to pit people against each other. Yep. So they'd be like, all right, well, Tom, I had all of the success because of Belichick. Oh no, but Belichick had all the success because of Tom. I think they both coincided, you know, Facts. heavily in, in the output of their careers. Because at the end of the day, when they both hang them up, they're going to end up in Canton. Goats. You know, retired with that gold jacket. Or as Dion Sands would say they're both gonna have jackets that you can't buy <laughs> so Ooh. yeah so that, that, that that's the thing but ultimately in life competition is essential yeah it's important so anything that can push you forward find what do you, that competitive. Like, what do you think about people that are scared of competition I see a lot of people that are scared of competition I boil it down to insecurity I yes think, I think if you're yes. afraid of competition you're a little bit insecure that you're gonna lose because mm -hmm. if you're confident you're gonna win you're not gonna be afraid of the competition exactly if we're competing at fucking singing and you're a great singer mm -hmm. you're gonna be excited and be like yo I'm about to flex on you with my beautiful voice. 
right? If someone challenged me to a singing competition, I'm not gonna be like, yeah, let's do it, because I can't sing. Mm -hmm. But if someone challenged me to a competition and things that I'm proficient in, I'd be excited about it. So I think that's what really happens with people. It's like they don't want to get their feelings hurt, so they avoid the competition. What are your thoughts? Do you feel like the same way about I it? I agree, 110%. Because even because now insecurity since become like a buzzword. Yeah. But if you're if you excel at something, this is your strong suit. Like if you if you cook, you throw down the kitchen. Somebody invites you for like a cooking competition or something like that. If this is what you're truly passionate about, this is what you love, you'll jump at that opportunity. There's some people will be like, okay, I'm a little bit shy or something like that, or maybe I'm not as good as I may be. So sometimes you'll need some support behind it. But yeah. if you, this is what you do, you're not gonna be afraid of said competition. Oftentimes it comes from, ah, maybe I'm not as good. So you start to let that doubt creep in. But yeah. if it's something that you know you're good at, you have a track record of this being what you're good at, you're gonna jump at the opportunities like that. You're not gonna sit there like, oh boy, yeah, you know what, I really don't wanna compete, I don't wanna have to, no, hell no. If you've been training basketball your entire life, now you have an opportunity, it's a one-on-one -on -one contest for like 10K. You yeah. think you're not gonna take it? 100%, and that's where practice comes in too. Yeah. That's where the practice makes you better at whatever it is, because mm -hmm. people are, are always like scared to practice. Yeah. They just wanna jump straight to being good, mm -hmm. right? But like the practice comes in because those 10,000 hours, that's what contributes to your confidence. Because mm -hmm. if you put 10,000 10, hours into something, you're gonna be very, very confident in whatever you can deliver, mm -hmm. you know, at the very, very high level, the highest levels. Yeah. So I think it, it just goes hand in hand. Yeah, and yeah. I think you, you should throw yourself to the wolves. Throw yourself to the wolves at one point in your life. It, of course, things have to happen at different times, but don't just live a full life of just being conservative across the board. And Take I, a risk. The dots connect for all of it too, because if you, if you want to connect the dots to like life, to winning in life, because mm -hmm. there's advice, and all the advice sounds cliche, but it's all true. So when this, people say follow your passion, right? Yeah. When I break that down, follow your passion. Why do you follow your passion? Because you enjoy doing it. If you enjoy doing it, you're gonna spend a lot of time doing it. If mm -hmm. you spend a lot of time doing it, you're gonna get very good at it. If you're gonna get very good at it, you're gonna be proficient in it. You're gonna mm -hmm. be able to use it to make money. Yep. You're gonna be not afraid of competition. And the truth is, if you win in competition, which is life, you make money. Yep. So if you follow what you're passionate about and you go down like these routes, Mm -hmm. naturally it's gonna lead to money. Yeah, and it's right. not all black and white, like, oh, well, if I do this, then I'll be rich at this point. It always happens at different speeds, right. but then ultimately the blueprint always remains like the, the same. same, in the grand scheme That's of things. That's why every motherfucker gives you the same right. exact right. advice. Right, right, everything sounds so cliche, like you said, everything sounds so basic, everything sounds so similar. A lot of times people can say things to where it sounds different, but the baseline is always the same. Yeah. It's always the same, because at the end of the day, whether you, you, when you do make the money and it comes, you'll find yourself going into those passion projects, the pricing on projects and everything like that. So mm -hmm. it naturally ends up happening like that. It's always interesting whenever people ask, like the higher level people for advice and or whatever, and it's like, the it's not, it sounds so simple because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it is simple. While you're going through the journey of all the adversity, you'll look back and the perspective that you gain along the journey shows you, oh wait, this is the exact same path that they were telling me that it goes on. So mm -hmm. it's like you go through the adversity to gain the perspective. Yeah. Once you have the perspective, it gives you the enlightenment of what this is all for. It almost like unlocks a door and you see everything. Yeah. Right? Because I remember looking back at my life now, I would hear all this stuff and I'm like, okay, this is corny. Uh, but you have to just listen to it in order to understand it. Mm -hmm. You have to listen to understand in the beginning because it's not going to make sense in the beginning. Yeah. But eventually, if you seek, you will find the answers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's the beautiful part about like life and all of this stuff. And the older you get, the, the wiser you get. Yeah, the older Some you get, the Some stuff you have to get. just learn through like age and wisdom, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, that's one of the things where like when you have your elders, whether it be your parents, your cousins, your teachers, um, perhaps with different advisors, they'll always tell you stuff. And then you're like, ah, oh, that's not, what are you talking about? You don't know what, what you're talking about, despite the fact that they were once the age that you were. Yeah. And then now when you get older, you look back like, ah, you know what? <laughs> Maybe I was a dumbass back then. Maybe I didn't quite understand or I thought I knew everything. And then you start to say, oh, okay, I understand now because with time and experience, 
you gain that wisdom, you gain that understanding. And then funny enough, you end up becoming the elder to somebody else who now comes to you. Like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. And you're like, oh, wait, give it some time. Just wait. You'll There's experience a cyclical the same nature stuff. of life. Right. There's a very did cyclical you, did nature. Did you know everything in, in nature is round too? Mm. Like the planet, Earth, all the planets are round. Like, I don't know what it is about like that shape of like circularness. Yeah, sphere. Yeah. But that's the sh like everything in the world is just fucking circular. It's it's so funny. It's, it's like then when, when you when you detach yourself from like whatever it is that you're going through like you almost have to have that outer body kind of experience yeah. and then you start to really think things down this is why i think it's so important to write stuff down because if you now look at stuff you're like wait a minute i've been through this before mm -hmm. just in a different aspect and it gives you the perspective now you're like oh i understand i'm at this stage because at this different topic in my life i was doing this same sort of cycle but it was on something different. It's like you have to you have to have that willingness to look back and say, okay, I can learn from this. It's hard because no matter what you tell someone, like that information, it's hard for information to penetrate someone's brain. Yeah. You know, I wish I could fucking penetrate their brain. <laughs> like I wish I could just get in a syringe and just shove it in people's brain. If only. If yeah. only. Because at that, at that point, then it would be somewhat easy. But then I guess the the pain is the and the drilling of the brain, I guess, the pain is getting them to understand what it is that you can't get people to you want it. You know? Yeah, you, you can't. can't. Everybody has their epiphany in life at different times. Well, I think to an extent you can, but you just have to use the right vehicle. Like I, I flex a lot of shit, but if anything, that motivates people. The mm -hmm. mo motivates some people. Some people get angry, triggered, whatever. But I think if you can motivate someone to do that, it's life changing. Yeah, yeah. You know? I think that that that's where that real influence comes in. I think yeah. that's when that real influence comes into where you can truly tell people, hey, you know, um, this is what you should do. And then people are willing to go and and follow. But that's a skill. That's yeah. a skill that um, some people have it. Some people don't. Some people can work towards it. But then having that ability to influence, to get people to say, hey, you know, I say this and I'm a needle mover per se. So I can say this and then the people will be willing to go and be inspired and execute. Because mm -hmm. it's one thing to be inspired. It's another thing to go out there and execute. So it all comes down to finding, you know, what, what's necessary for you to move and Facts. get to where it is that you want to go, whether it be competitiveness, you know, whether it be experience, whether mm -hmm. it be adversity. So you just have to find that thing that can push this you. This is a motivational episode, man. Yeah. And at first it was just, hey, let's We're see if we can make some baskets. And then I wanted to, like, just talk shit about random stuff because right. like, the intros David has been cooking up are hilarious. Yeah. I think we needed more moments like that. But, like, we just went on a, a journey of, like, of motivational advice. Right, because ultimately I think that's that's the thing in, in the world right now. We could close on this where people, it seems like they're just not motivated, but I don't think it's the matter of them just not being motivated. I think they're just, they just don't purposeless. know. Like they, they are purposeless. Like you, you, you sit around, it's like, all right, you exist in the world, but am I living? And what am I doing? So then the moment that you can find, and I think that's why it's important to try different things, find out what it is that you like, and that will walk you towards your purpose because oftentimes purpose is right in front of you. Yeah. And then you just can't happen to see it. Yeah. So it, it's very interesting. They, they usually say, uh, um, what was it? I think it was Cody Rhodes, a wrestler, who had once said that, um, I think it was he said that your purpose is usually found on the road that you try to avoid the most mm -hmm. or something. So you can't keep running away from stuff. I think ultimately when you run at life, Mm -hmm. then you find what it is that you're ultimately chasing, I guess. Sometimes it's blurred. Like, your vision will always be blurred. Deep. So, it's interesting to me. I don't know. It's very interesting to me. Yeah, but man. one way or another, <laughs> um, this has been another episode of the Assiduous Podcast, and I am the diligent, vigilant, meticulous, sagacious, conscientious, analytical, methodical, individual, the, the chiseled Adonis. But of course, you already knew that, and he is a serial entrepreneur, the Filipino prince tycoon, tycoon Renee Lacan. And this is, this we was, are. we are, Assiduous. Assiduous.